So we'll open up to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, we now find, we're going to return to, the, to this uh, uh, character that we had a, a heard a fair bit from last week, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Uh, and what we're going to see in today's passage is that God, who has protected his people from many, many evils and many terrors, God is now going to protect them from disorganization through poor leadership. Anybody really excited for polity and structures and org charts and leadership and bylaws? Anybody just pumped for the one? Great? No, I'm not. Uh, you just pumped to come into the meeting room on a Monday morning or church on a Sunday morning and say, I'm really interested in the interrelational, uh, conceptual sort of uh, uh, bylaws that we have around the leadership of God's people, delegation, paperwork. This is, some of you, this is your thing. You just, you're on fire for this and you're going to have a great time. I'm going to, I know this will be a blessing to us, but maybe on the, on the face of it, not the most exciting scene of Exodus. We love the fire smoke pillar coming down from heaven. The Red Sea was great. God KOing all of the, the gods in Egypt through the plagues. That was extremely exciting. And this leadership structures and task delegation, I'm going to have to work pretty hard to get us all G'd up today. But let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 18 and verse uh, 13. God is going to achieve his purposes in his people, in a very real world, just before we read. God is not just achieving his purposes in some vague spiritual dimension. God's purposes unfold for us in a very real world. And so when we see God come in with divine wisdom and organize his people in such a way that he saves them from chaos, he saves them from social disorder, he saves them from leadership of one man up the top making all the calls, when he blesses them with a system and a process that leads to their blessing, we should say, praise God, hallelujah. And so we're going to see those things come through in the text today. He, uh, Exodus chapter, eight, uh, 13, chapter 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, I, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will bless you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Verse 20. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who are uh, uh, men who fear, I've lost my place, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. 
And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. Verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds and fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. May God bless his own word in our midst this morning. Amen. Amen and amen. We have here first to to understand the advice that Jethro gives because he's understood the problem. As he's standing there, uh, he's woken up the next morning after his conversion. He came and met Moses. Moses told him everything God had done. He he confessed his faith in this Lord and repudiated all of his past worship. They then had a, a communion meal. They had a covenant meal together in the presence of God. Jethro made a sacrifice to Yahweh. And then the next morning he wakes up and he sees his, his son-in-law, the evangelist of his soul, he sees him sitting in an enormous crowd. Remember that this crowd is upward of a million people. There is 600,000 men alone, meaning at least that is that, that many women and children added to that number. Well over a million people. And here's Moses sitting in the middle of them, all of the people, Jerry Springering all around him. And people come forward one at a time in public and say, here's my issue. Here's my issue. You decide. And, and Moses says that it's his job to hear from the people. Now, sometimes he just says to them, I've heard from heaven on this before, that, you know, four cases ago, we, we, we discussed this sort of thing. And he simply commands and explains and teaches the law of God. Sometimes it is necessary that he goes and he inquires of God and comes back with an answer that has been given by God himself. And this he does day by day from morning until evening. And Jethro says to him that you are damaging yourself You are damaging the people, and you will fail to accomplish the mission of God if you keep on doing this. There is a big difference between doing a good thing and doing the right thing well. He was was doing good. It's good what he was trying to do, but he was not doing it well. And and, and many of God's leaders and many people in the church are led to destruction because they don't understand the difference between getting everything done and doing everything. The leaders in God's church and the leaders in God's people need to understand the difference between getting everything done. Good, wise, godly men who are the leaders in God's church are able to see that everything gets done, but that it is the fool or it is the the overconfident or it is the, the, the man who is burning himself and the people out who tries to do everything, meet with everyone, make sure all the chairs are out, be responsible for every single line on every rostering volunteer sheet. The leaders of God need to be experts in what, what Jethro shows us, delegation. Good leaders don't do everything, but they do get everything done. So he says, what you're doing is not good. You're doing good things, but not in a good way, and therefore it is impractical, and it is going to lead the people down into the ditch of burdened, of being burned out. We see at this moment just how wise, godly, 
practical advice doesn't always have a verse. Jethro doesn't say, I came from doing my devotions this morning, and Ecclesiastes, it says that Israel needs heads of tens, fifties. He doesn't say that he received a word from the Lord. He simply, he's been a religious leader in Midian for the last 40 years at least, plus longer. He's an older man with wisdom, and he simply says to Moses, I'm not telling you what to do. I will command you and you take my advice. And if you do, I believe God will be in it. But I'm not, I'm not coming in over the top of you. I'm not, I'm not trying, to, trying to play the power card here. Uh, even though he was a father-in-law, he gives his advice. And, and this is the case with, the, with every generation that changes. As the world continues to, 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 to develop, and I don't always mean in a better way, but, but as it progresses and not always in a better way, and as society changes and corrupts and, and as technology changes, every age of God's people, the church, need to have what, what the proverb speaks of as God-fearing, practical wisdom. And it doesn't always have a verse. It's not always as if this is exactly what God has told us to do in this exact situation. Rather, the godly leaders over God's people are simply able to apply general biblical principles to particular life circumstances. And that's what Jethro leads Moses to do here. And Moses, we don't know what his problem was. Maybe, maybe he was overconfident and he was very sure of himself that he was going to be able to do this. Maybe. Maybe he had actually just been waiting for God to give some kind of revelation. This is what some commentators think. He wouldn't have presumed upon himself to, to develop and design his own leadership structure. He would have waited for, him a, vo for a voice from God, and I think from this text we understand the principle that the next best thing to the voice of God sometimes is the voice of an older, godly, wise counselor. Sometimes that is as close to the voice of God that we get, where the scripture is not extremely specific about certain areas. Wiser, godly counselors, the Proverbs tell us, come in and instruct us, and we are blessed when we listen to reproof. <coughs> So Moses does exactly what he's told. Now, what we see here is Moses in some way fulfill three different offices or wear three different kind of hats. In the Old Testament, these offices and these, these roles or these different hats end up becoming distinct roles. And, and, and these, these offices are, are, are prophet and priest and king. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're aware that God, God kind of isolates these jobs. Even though sometimes priests were prophets and sometimes the kings were prophets, etc. The, the ordinary way that God did it was to, to delegate and isolate these three roles to meet the needs of God's people. The prophet and the priest and the king. A prophet in the Old Testament is somebody who would represent God to the people by speaking God's word. He represented God to the people by authoritatively declaring God's word. The priest turned around and did the opposite thing. He represented the people to God by making prayers to him for them and by bringing a sacrifice to make those prayers and those people acceptable. So a prophet would represent God to people, a priest would represent the people to God, and a king would rule over the people of God and apply judicially the laws of God to society and protect them from their enemies. And so we're told here in this text and all throughout the Old Testament, God gives these three roles because the people of God have this threefold need. 
We are ignorant. We are in the darkness. We don't know what we need to know about God or ourselves, and so God gives prophets to speak to us. We can't access God. As the prophet tells us about God, we understand that we are unholy and God is holy. And he is perfect and we are unperfect. We are unrighteous. We are evil. We are defiled. And he is, he is infinitely holy. And so the priest has to come in and mediate before the two by making a sacrifice and praying for us because we don't have a right to go into the throne room of God. We don't have a right to demand that the Lord of all the earth listens to us. So we need a priest. And we need, a, we need a king because we are a chaotic, we are a selfish, divisive, fighting people by nature. And so people need the rule of God applied to them and, and justice done and enemies fight away, fought off. The people of God need a protective king. Well, these officers that we see in the Old Testament, we actually see, even before we get to Mount Sinai and God gives them the priests, through Levi and, the, and, and, and Aaron's sons. Even before we get to First and Second Samuel and God anoints a king, and even before we have further prophets beyond just Moses, even at this juncture in Exodus chapter 18, we see the leader of God, Moses, step in and wear each one of these hats to some degree. So look at verse 15 and 16. Moses is explaining to his father-in-law part of his job. And he says that they come to him to inquire of God. And he says to them, I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. That's Moses acting as the prophet. They come to him so that he can hear from God and speak his laws to them. He also acts as a priest in verse, at the end of verse 19 as Jethro commands him, to go and represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. That is the job of the priest, to, to take the concerns, the needs of the people, and represent them in the presence of God, to pray for them and to mediate them to God's grace. And we see his role in, the, in a kingly-like way in verse 21 and 22. It says here, And let, let them, let them the, the other leaders... Let them judge the people every time, nine to five, seven days, six days a week. Let them do the ordinary ruling. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. That is that Moses was to rule over them, appoint leaders, delegate his authority to them, and then judge all of the weightier matters. In simple terms, Moses' job was to teach, to pray, and to rule, to be prophet priest and king to his people. And then God, in the future of, of the Israelite nation and into the Old Testament, God gives many more, doesn't he? He gives many more prophets to the people of God, mostly because they don't listen, but also because he had more to tell them, even if they listened to everything else. He had more to tell them, so he sent more prophets we understand that uh, uh, they, they needed ongoing mediation as they learn who God is and that they are sinners and that there is a, a large chasm between them. God gives them priests in order to mediate that, that uh, atonement and to bring our plight to God for mercy. And God would give the people kings as the nation lands in Israel, in, in, in Canaan, as, as they, they settle their, their lands, then eventually they ask for a king and God does give it to them. And, and that is so that they could be protected from their, from their 
from their enemies so that they could be held to account so that they don't neglect God's laws and they don't neglect the sacrifices. That was a part of the job of the king, to be the protector of the faith. Well, if you know your Old Testament or if you know your own soul, you know that none of those prophets that came in the Old Testament were able to fully reveal God. None of them were able to fully expound and tell and to communicate to the people exactly and precisely what God was like. They could say true things, but they did not have the fullness of the revelation. And we know that there was never a priest that ever came who was able to make a sacrifice that ended all sacrifices. That's why there was so many. There kept on being sacrifices to be made. There kept on being a temple. There kept on being a line of priests because no sacrifice was enough. And and no priest could ever intercede for the people of God effectively and finally. They could ask for mercy for a time. They could ask for forgiveness for one year, one day of atonement. They could pray over the people. They could ask God for grace one sacrifice at a time. That as the people came, they would, they would give their sacrifice and the priest would pray for some mercy over this particular person in this particular moment for this particular day. But eventually, the wrath of God still hung over them and it would have to come down. The wrath of God still, still was maintained in his perfect justice and no priest could ever come before the, the throne room of God and say, satiate your wrath, pour it out. Take your wrath away from these people. They don't deserve it anymore. No priest could ever do that. And also no king could ever perfectly and ultimately lead God's people into righteousness. Not by their example. They were were whoremongering, idolatrous, violent, greedy men. Every one of them. Even the guy that was said was after God's own heart. Even the best of them still had way too many wives, very selfish, became a murderer and an adulterer. Even the best fell infinitely short of being able to say, here are the people you have given me. I have led them by perfect example. I have held them to perfect account and I bring them into the final promises of God. Not a single king could do that. In some measure, every prophet failed, every priest failed, and every king failed. There is only one perfect king. There is only one perfect prophet. There is only one perfect priest, and the New Testament gives us the truth that this is not three different guys. God did not send three Christs, one to be prophet, one to be priest, and one to be king. God gave one person, his own son, who became human, took onto himself full human nature and flesh, and then acted out imperfection, in absolute perfection, the role of the prophet, the role of the priest, and the role of the king. Hebrews chapter 1, you can go there. Hebrews chapter 1 picks up on this theme in speaking about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, it's the first, first, first two verses of the book. Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus is much, much greater at being Moses than Moses was. Jesus is a much better Moses. It says this in verse 1, long ago. 
at many times and in many ways. Exodus 18 is one of those times and one of those ways. In, in lots of different ways. You know what? One time he even speaks through a donkey. You might think he still does that today. Hello, nice to meet you. God spoke through animals. God spoke through wind. God spoke through fire. God spoke by opening up the ground like a mouth and eating people. God spoke through prophets. God spoke through all kinds of different ways. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Verse 3 goes on to say that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Do you see that Jesus' teaching role was not just in what he said. It was in everything he was and in everything he did. Because every act, every conversation with a hurting soul, every conversation with a proud religious person, everything he taught, everything he, every act of service, every healing, those things were the exact imprint of the nature of the eternal, infinite God. What an amazing reality. Jesus did not just speak perfectly. He did not just reveal the kingdom that everybody else spoke about. He did not just say things that they had all dreamed about. He did not just say, it all points to me in John 5. When he says to his detractors, you search and read the scriptures because you think that in them you will have life, but it is they that testify of me. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of scripture, not only is Jesus the best teacher in scripture, not only is Jesus the greatest prophet that God has ever given, but he himself is God. That's what made him such a prophet. Maybe you have arguments with certain friends and they say, I, I think Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. And you say, oh, you don't understand how much of a teacher he was. That's how he taught. By being the exact imprint of God. His divinity is tied to his prophetic office. Also, we see this in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1. He made purification for sins. Hallelujah, somebody. Jesus made purification for sins of which every past sacrifice was only ever a shadow. A poor, weak, cheap, blood of lamb only sacrifice shadow. But Jesus was the final, in fact the first. He was the first and the final sacrifice that God would ever be able to look at and pour out his wrath. Give all of his anger and his justice and his, and his divine wrath towards human sin. He could give it to a human who could swallow it all, die, and then come back to life. He's the priest who made purification for sin. Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Jesus is a priest. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 and following. He holds his priesthood permanently. Don't let any, anybody tell you we don't have priests anymore. We do. We have priest, one high priest, permanent priest. The rest of us are a kingdom of priests also. He holds his priesthood permanently because he lives forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost ends anybody who draws near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus made the sacrifice to purify us. He makes the prayers that intercede for us. And so we are perfectly represented to God like no priest ever could. And he is a king. I hope you're still in Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 and 2 told us that Jesus taught as the final prophet, revealed God perfectly. 
Verse 3 told us that he made purification for sins. And then verse 4 says, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. After fulfilling his priestly sacrifice, being raised from the dead, he was raised up and he sat down on the throne of God to rule the universe and specifically, covenantally rule his people. We have a prophet, we have a priest, and we have a king who lives forever and who undertakes his ministry in utter perfection. That means, people of God, every need you have is perfectly met. The the threefold office was to meet the threefold need of fallen humanity. We're ignorant, we're guilty, we're unruly. Jesus came in, he teaches and reveals, he sacrifices and prays, and he rules us, protecting us, taking us to eternal glory. Any need that God saw we had, he met in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Hebrews 3.3 says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus has been counted of more glory than Moses. Amen. That's our lesson throughout all of Exodus. That's our lesson from Exodus 18, which we're going back to now. Jesus is worth of more glory than Moses ever was. And he's also worthy of more glory than Jethro. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's better at being Moses than Moses. Jesus is also the perfect Jethro. He's better at being Jethro than Jethro. Back in Exodus chapter 18, we see that Jethro organized, ordered, counseled, structured the people of God so that they could accomplish their mission and their task to the glory of God. So also, Jesus appoints leaders and structures in the church so that we may go on to accomplish the commission that he leads us in. Having died the death for sin that we all deserve, having died that death, having satisfied God's wrath so that the law can no longer condemn us, and therefore being raised up from the dead, being resurrected in body and soul, and then being enthroned in heaven, Ephesians 4 tells us that from his throne in heaven, he sent down the Spirit without measure. He sent down the Spirit to baptize and fill and empower that very first generation of the church in the book of Acts, so that every generation of the church from then on has our most important need, the presence of God in and with the people of God, strengthening us, for mission. But on top of that, he also gave, or rather, in and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus gave particular gifts and callings to people so that we would have apostles and prophets that laid the foundation of the church, that taught the, the mysteries of God to the, and wrote the New Testament. And then we have pastors and teachers who lead the people of God by explaining the written, finished scripture. And we have deacons who meet the needs of the church so that we can all stay unified and undistracted meeting and fulfilling the mission of God. And then he's structured in such a way that people are organized who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God who place their faith in Jesus ought also to find themselves added to local bodies where they can be used, as Romans 12 says, as body parts in the body of Jesus 
as body parts in those local churches to function in certain roles and to do ministry to each other and to preach the gospel to the world on the outside that are still dead in their sin. So, so, so if you're an economist, this is, this is a, a delegation of resources. If you're a CEO, this is the org chart. If you are a, 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 a strategist, then, then this is divide and conquer. Whatever you want to call it, Jesus designed the local church in an in a infinitely wise, good way to protect us from disorder. To protect us from disorder. Don't you know that it's not always heresies that take down the church of God? It's often just disorder through bad leadership. It's just the complaining people and the, and, and the lack of avenues of, of being sorted out and the disunity that comes from grumbling, it disorders the church and into chaos she goes and, and she, a divided house, cannot win, right? Sometimes it's abuse from spiritual leaders at the top. Some of you have gone through this. And we know that people, it, it, it's man's nature, even if they're saved, it's man's nature to, to want and gain and acquire and attain more and more and more power. And if it's the teaching of the Bible that gets in the way, then it's the teaching of the Bible that has to get out of the way. And so they design their own church leadership. And there's one man at the top that makes all the calls. And it's, it's him that everybody has to go to to be able to hear from God or to be able to meet with God. To save us from that, Jesus gave us a system. And also to provide a system for every generation in the church. The, the wisdom of God is proven that as every organization and institution that was ever around in the Roman Empire, not a single one of them still stands except for the, the local church of, the, of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them meets a limit at which they realize time is changing. People are changing society is evolving or changing or devolving and, and our organization can't keep up with the change or can't keep up with technology or our people can't, 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 can't delegate enough and, and they close down. There's not a single institution that still stands except the church of Jesus Christ. It's because he protects us. It's because the spirit preserves us. But in very human terms, it is also because he gave us a timeless structure for church leadership. Members, deacons that serve, elders that lead, and, more, and, and additionally, teaching elders that, that are uh, uh, commissioned for the main preaching and teaching of the people of God. That's called ecclesiology, the, the, the structure and study of the church. Now, Jesus, as the prophet, priest, and king, ministers to his people through his people. Jesus, the prophet and the priest and the king, ministers to us through us. We are all the body. We are all at every time the patient and also the instruments of the doctor. You may have needs that other Christians need to help meet, but you also need to help meet other people's needs. This is the interdependence inter, uh, that we have as members in the body of Jesus Christ. So Christ is giving elders, and then he's ruling us through those shepherding elders. Christ gives teaching elders and then teaches us through his word through those teaching elders. Christ gives deacons and then he himself is ministering and washing the feet of the saints through the ministry of those local church deacons. Christ adds members to his body and then builds his church through his members' service and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. 
This is the building, the practical structure of the church of God. So we can ask, what was at risk if Moses functioned without the wisdom and structure of God? There'll be disorder, disorganization, chaos. That would lead to grumbling as people's needs aren't being met. We even see this in Acts chapter 6, the, the new Pentecostal early church. They were, they were thriving, thousands added to their number. And what caused the grumbling of the widows that they weren't getting fed? It was just disorganization, not sin, not, not, not error, just disorganization. So they appointed deacons to meet the need. Why ultimately? Not to feed the widows. Important, necessary, true undefiled religion will feed the widows. But the apostles had an even grander view. They said, if we don't sort this out, the church will remain ununified and the gospel won't go to the ends of the earth as we've been commanded. So disorder leads to disunity and then a failed mission. And it is the same for the church, but the stakes are even higher. Pastors do everything that we can to train other people so that we are not overwhelmed by petty problems, but so the gospel can be preached, the word can be taught, and the people of God can be shepherded and the lost can be saved. We are all involved in this all-important structure of the church. Three verses. Listen to how seriously the New Testament takes this up and commands the people of God to honor God by honoring his designed structure. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. Some measure, not the whole measure, but some measure of your pastor's and elder's joy in shepherding you comes down to you. Let them have a good time shepherding you so that they can do it with joy. Here's what it says. Because that would be no advantage to you if they are groaning. You don't want tired, burned out, complained to pastors. And some measure of that, of course, the pastor needs to take responsibility. But some measure of that, Paul says, falls on the church as well. Or, or 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love, in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I think there's a few, a few elements we can take from Exodus chapter 18 and the New Testament passages we've read, uh, three, how to passively be great church members, and four, active, how to be great members of the body of Christ, every one of us. Three passive things. Don't cause problems. Right? I don't mean, no, no one should feel convicted at this point. We should, yeah, everyone just nod. Uh, yeah, don't cause problems. Wouldn't it have been the first port of call for Moses to be able to say to everybody, Stop causing these problems. That, you're, that would have been the first way to have less, less uh, jobs to do on the sheet is why don't you take personal responsibility and don't steal your brother's manor. Don't yoink your cousin's goat. Hey, how about that? Don't set your, your neighbor's tent on fire. This is a good idea. So also in the church of God, the, the first step is passively just don't cause problems. The Exodus has called that so far grumbling. Secondly, 
when problems arise, because we know they will, when problems arise, solve them yourself. Solve them yourself. You got offended by somebody. That's not the pastor's job. My advice has been, often is, and will continue to be, brother, love ya, get over it. That, that, that's, a, that's a gift from the Lord to be able to get over something. It, it is the glory of men to, to conceal transgressions, Proverbs says. So have some glory, brother. Get over it. Right? Most of the time, we need to know that our job is to solve the situation ourselves. How can we keep Moses from having more and more things to manage? Well, we're responsible people with the Spirit of God. We can, we can sort out many problems ourselves. Thirdly, solve them in such a way that keeps unity and momentum. That is that God has given to us a church discipline process. God has given to us a, a way that the church should handle issues. And it's our responsibility to use God's structure. And ultimately what I want to see you, what, what I want you to see is that that's not just so you preserve unity. That's so that we preserve mission momentum. Unity is not it for its own sake. I don't care about unity for its own sake. We need unity so that the ship is held together so that we can get where we're going, which is being engaged on the Great Commission and seeing souls saved. That's the mission. So unity brings momentum. Now, here's four active things we can do. Number one, serve the purpose of the church. Oh, I love this church. It is hard to find anybody in this church. They've been here for a month, and they'll be on a roster somewhere. Praise God, hallelujah, a sign of the Spirit in a people is a servant-heartedness to see the purpose of the church reach. So if that is not you, then jump on. Serve the purpose of the local church to the glory of Jesus. Number five, fulfill your role, but look for even more opportunity. Wouldn't Moses have loved people to be able to say, look, I'm looking after this 10 pretty well, and I've also, I've actually got a second batch of 10 that I'm looking after, and also I, I think I've got capacity for 40. Or maybe say, I'm looking after 50, can I just have a 10? Okay, or always ask yourself, not just am I serving, but can I serve more? Or can I unserve in some areas to serve more effectively in line with my calling? Jesus gives callings and we believe in him gifting specific people for specific roles. Fifthly, step up. Often people, people will say something like, I, I'm waiting for God's calling. I'd love to do that. I think that's important, but I'm waiting for God to call me. And I say, maybe 50, 60% of the time, the need is the calling. Jethro didn't receive a word from the Lord. Moses didn't receive a word from the Lord. Jethro simply saw the need and said, that's enough of a call from God for me. And he stood in and said, here's what we need to do, or there's failure coming. Often where there is a vacuum, where there is a need in the church, that's your call. If you can, if you wish to, don't wait for a voice, see the need and step in because the, 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 the Spirit is given uh, 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 all-encompassingly to serve and meet needs. So where there's a need, it may be your calling. And always be keen to do more. How, how Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said to them, brothers, sisters, Always abound in the work of the Lord. Be ever increasing in your service to Jesus because he's resurrected from the dead. There's not a single ounce of effort you put in to the mission of the local church, to winning of souls to Christ, to serving of other members in the church that does not count for eternity. We're in Exodus 18. Look at, look at, verse, look at chapter 19 where we will be going next week. Look at verse 6. 
God is speaking as he's about to give them his law. And even back then, when he is about to allocate very specific people to be priests, yet in verse 6 he still says this, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that Moses was to speak to the whole people of Israel. Do you see that from the very beginning, it was not just some, some holy men that do the ministry. The whole kingdom of God under his leader is to be a people who are priests, who are representing others in our prayers for them, who are doing what we can to serve their needs. We are a people, the whole church, not just the staff, not just the deacons, not just the evangelists or the elders or some special class of extra mature Christians, but all of us by faith in Jesus Christ, have been forgiven of sins and then given a new heart and given the Holy Spirit to empower us for service. We are all priests to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you don't have faith in Jesus. And if you don't have faith in Jesus, your ultimate problem is that you're not a, not a part of the people. Your ultimate problem is not that you're, you're not doing some service. If you don't have faith in Jesus, your ultimate problem is not that you don't have leadership. Your ultimate problem is that you are still in your ignorance without Jesus teaching you the truth. You are still in your guilt because your sin is still on your soul and your, the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't apply to you. And you are still in the kingdom of darkness because Jesus has not rescued and delivered you from the kingdom of Satan. Therefore, you need Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king. You need to trust in his death in your place. You need to trust in who he is for you. And if you do, you will immediately be born again. You will be given the spirit. You will be gifted. You will be added to the number of God. You will be forgiven. So trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father God, with, with, with all of scripture, we say that Moses was a great leader. Moses was a humble man. Moses was, a, was an organized person. He was your appointed leader for the people of God at that time. And yet, he was merely a servant underneath the, 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 the guidance and the command of God that he only knew, he only knew through much mystery. But God, we have a leader over the people of God who is far greater, who has seen God, in fact, is God. We have a leader over the people of God that, that teaches us with clarity and purity and fullness of revelation. We have, a, we have a leader in Jesus Christ that does not lead us to the border of the promised land, but in fact, Lord God, leads us to heaven, leads us to peace with God, leads us to glory, that unending new heaven and new earth. We thank you for Jesus, who is a truer, a better, a greater Moses. We thank you that in your grace, Jesus has given to this church and every church that follows the Bible structures so that we can be timeless, so that we can be relevant and always timely, so that we can be preserved, not burn out, but serve Jesus well. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died for us and that then he gave us his Holy Spirit so that we can be confident. Our sins are forgiven. No matter, no matter what we have done this week, our sins are forgiven because Jesus stands in heaven for us. And Lord God, whatever, whatever difficulty comes in the future months, years, or weeks for this church, we can know with confidence we will get through them because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Father God, for anybody in the midst of us this morning who does not trust in Jesus for salvation, would you please right now give to them an assurance of his mercy 
and an assurance, a confidence in his love to them by which he died for them to make them one of his people. Father God, would you give them that faith that they may be saved. We pray all of this in our prophet, priest, and king, the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.